Welcome everyone to Monday Match Analysis. I'm Gil Gross on this week's show. I'm going to do what I'm very committed to doing and that's giving you the most detailed, comprehensive breakdown of the biggest match in tennis from last week and uh, there were a lot of stories. I'm going to get to that later in the show with some comment response but for the first part, let's get into Federer and team. I, I posted a short video last night right after the result happened. Uh, just to five reasons why team beat Federer, I am about to go in way more detail, way more depth. And what was really fun about this match, really enjoyable about this match, and, and overall it was a really entertaining match, was the first set didn't resemble the second set, which didn't resemble the third set. It was a tale of three sets. So I have video clips, I'm ready to go, I took very detailed notes, which I am going to uh, re refer back to while I was watching this match. Th this was a lot of fun, so uh, let's start with the first set. Federer won this set 6-3, and the main thing here was I think Federer's return was, was the one thing or one of the things that really jumped out. It was an incredible performance on Federer's return, his ability to not just get it back, but be really aggressive with it, to rush team off the return, to not let him start the point with a big, heavy ground stroke because he didn't have time to do so. And the reason that was happening was because he got predictable because he was hitting his favorite serve. His favorite serve is a is a tremendous serve. It's something that I noticed the first time I ever watched team, and I'll never forget that time. It was it was on a clay court in a 250, and I don't even remember what tournament it was. And I'm like, whoa, this guy's kick serve is insane. That was the first thing I noticed with him. He, his kick serve, it's kicky. Let's just put it that way. So what does he do? He does what every righty with a good kick serve does. He hits it, he attacks the righty backhand. He kicks it up to the righty backhand. I mean, you go through the junior levels, the challenger levels, and then even the elite pro levels. If you're a righty, you need a kick serve attacking the righty backhand. That's that's the number one serve that you need, the most important serve in tennis. And for team, he's so good at it that against most opponents, he can mainly just hit it over and over again. And because the kick serve is a, is a serve that obviously has the most topspin, not only is it an effective serve, but he can serve a really high percentage because it's the serve that's easiest to get in the box as well and the easiest to control due to the topspin. It's team's favorite serve. What did Federer do? He sat on it. He anticipated it. And he had a dominant returning set. Here we go. 3-4, break point. That's what it looked like. Federer stepping in. I'm showing it if you're listening on audio. I'm showing the return at 3-4 when Federer had break point. Um, he was so sharp on this backhand return, taking it early. Uh, a lot of the time hitting it at team's feet. That was one of the times where he was able to feel so much confidence and control with it that he redirected it line. On the point before team served to Federer's forehand, and he hit a winner return. So that was the second winner return in a row. But on that serve out wide, on the next serve, he said, well, team just served it to my forehand, and I just punished him. This is definitely a kick serve to my backhand. And it just like felt like Federer's reaction was so quick to, to team's serves in the first set, because I felt like Federer was getting a perfect read on it. That's going to change. But we'll get to that later. The other thing that was happening in the first set was Federer was 
executing the game plan that I was saying in my preview that he was going to possibly be able to execute really well. And that is using his craftsmanship, his variety, his creativity, his net play, and his ability to get the ball short in the court. Uh, so drop shots were incredibly effective in the first set due to team's court position. And net play, he was 9 for 9 in the first set whenever he went to the net. It was effective. Team's return position in the first set was not where it was against Raonic. So he wasn't all the way on the back fence. He knew that Federer was too good a serve and volley player, too precise with his serve, and too good offensively where he didn't really want to play that defensive retrieval style because he felt that Federer would be too good at the net and, and he wouldn't miss the volleys that Raonic missed and he wouldn't miss the forehand that Raonic missed. The trade-off there was, first of all, I mean, Federer was able to still... I mean, he wasn't really able to serve volley much. He used it as more of a surprise tactic in the first set, and he did it to great effect. But ultimately, team was just kind of blocking, you know, couldn't take the big cut, the big aggressive cut on the first serve. And eventually, he would have to retreat anyway because Federer's first ground stroke would push Dominic back. So the effort that team made to change his return position and play forward into the court didn't exactly work in the first set because Federer was still able to dictate off his first shot, was still able to get to the net eventually, and was still able to finish a lot of points with the drop shot. Team played a really clean first set, though, uh, so it was a really high quality. So Federer not chipping any backhand returns. Team was missing more than he did against Raonic, and that's that's just the pressure that Federer puts on you. Professional tennis players don't miss just because, oh, they missed, like, for the heck of it. No, they miss because of pressure. If, if you let them, if you give them the middle of the court and they don't feel threatened, they're never going to miss. But Federer did such a good job of pouncing on short balls. His court position was so good in the first set, and he was so good at rushing the net, um, moving up behind his ground strokes, that team realized, I can't drop it sh in the middle of the court, and he was making way more errors. He played such a clean match against Raonic, played less clean in the first set against Federer, but still, once again, I thought he played a pretty good set. Um, but not enough service variation from team, and I think that's why he lost the first set um, on his end. On Federer's end, great use of the drop shot, great use of... of um, net play by Federer, and, and unreal returns. So that was the first set. I'm boring today, just drinking water. Rare occurrence, I hate water. I like to drink tea and coffee. Hate water. Not healthy for me, but that's okay. Uh, Alright, in the second set, Honestly, it looked like a continuation of the first set early on. Federer had break points in team's first two service games. Again, the return was fantastic from Federer. And this time, he had a look. He had a few looks. He had a look at a backhand down the line in particular at 1-2 where I thought he had it lined up nicely. And he hit the net. So he just couldn't convert on the break points that he had in team's first two service games. Now, at 1-2, Federer serving in the second set, I want to key in on something Team did. Team moved back on his second serve, 
on Federer's second serve. For the first time, he gave up all that court position and returned in the same place that he did against Raonic. And the first instinct that that of course everyone comes into their mind is, oh, is Federer going to serve volley now that team moved back? Dominic team knows that. It's too obvious. What does Federer do? He serve volleys not once, but twice in a row. And team simply knows it's coming. And this is what created the break chance. This was the second of two serve and volleys. And team hits an angle return where he, he clearly, from the offset, from the second that serve was struck, team was thinking Federer's going to serve volley, and he hits an angle passing shot like he was just waiting for it. So that's an example of the the correct tactic, the smart tactic, the proper tactic. Doesn't matter if it's the predictable tactic at this level. And Federer was way too predictable when team moved back saying, oh, he's back, I'm going to serve volley. He needed to, he needed to have a little bit of a, uh, variation. He needed to keep team guessing there. It was too obvious. And uh, team made him pay. Uh, so he gets the break. When team got the break in the second set, Federer looked awfully discouraged. He looked uh, and, you know, he lost focus. He lost energy. And this was a big dip in Federer's level where he gave himself really no chance to come back in the second set. This is the only time where where Federer kind of played like crap. And and I got some comments on my video uh, from from people saying Federer played awful um, and that he, he was terrible in this match. That isn't true. That simply isn't true at any point in this match except for the second set where it was true. And Federer gave himself no chance. Uh, but team started mixing up his serves a ton. And until the end of the third set, Federer could not find his return again. So this is like a hit, a batter, I think, in, in baseball where, you know, he got, he was quite comfortable with what team was doing for the first set and then the first two games of the second set. But once team started serving it much more often to Federer's forehand, once he started mixing in the flat serve, mixing in the slight ser slice serve, and mixing in the body serve to Federer's backhand, attacking Federer's left armpit, if, if you will, once he started vary, uh, varying his serve, that was a major, a massive difference maker for team. Um, And then that's pretty much the end of what I wrote for the second set. After that level drop, Federer had no chance. This this is something that we've seen a few times, right? So in the I, I hearken back to let's say the Kevin Anderson match in Wimbledon. Federer had all these chances in the third set to beat Kevin Anderson in straights, loses it. Where's the level drop in that match? Fourth set. Fourth set, major level drop in the Kevin Anderson match where Federer gave himself no chance. And then he tried to lock in again for the fifth set, but it was too late. Anderson already had, um, and he still had chances in the fifth set, but Anderson already had confidence, rhythm, and also you lose a chance at, you take the pressure off, you lose a chance. Maybe team would have blew it in the second set if Federer didn't, if Federer's level didn't dip, maybe team would have blew, would have uh, would have given Federer the break back. But Federer could never never tested team, never asked that question of team because of the level dip.
Okay, now let's talk about the third set. Team wins the second set 6-3. The return is the main factor here. Also, by the way, Federer lost his first serve. That 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 would have been bad by me if I didn't mention it. In the game that team broke, uh, Federer lost his, his first serve. So, again, the set that team outserved Federer in, as I suspected, Federer isn't good enough um, to beat team f- if he's not going to serve better than team on a, in these conditions when, where he really doesn't have much of an edge in, in baseline rallies. A couple notes before I move on to the third set. The odds were ridiculous for this match. The the betting odds, that is. Uh, I And I, I know in, in Europe it's decimal and fractions, but the fact that that Dominic team in, in the U.S. was something like plus 275 was absolutely ludicrous. It should have come as no surprise. See, this is how I looked at this match, and this is what I tried to convey in the preview, where I think those who actually listened to what I said realized that I'm, I'm pretty proud of, of the preview. I thought I, thought I, I hit it uh, pretty well. For those focused more on my pick... Maybe you don't get that, but I, I thought I was pretty close here. And um, I, was, I actually got a lot right, I thought. One of the, the way I looked at this match was you have a stronger, uh, bigger hitting, more explosive, more athletic player in Dominic Team in conditions where those qualities are going to reward him. Uh, the slower the court, the more physical the court. And team has such an edge over Federer physically and in weight of shot that it's no surprise that Federer was going to lose or not really have any sort of edge in baseline rallies in this match. His chance was to use his craftsmanship, his superior arsenal of weapons. And that's what he did in the first set. And that's what he did at times in the third set as well. More precision, more variation, more touch, more feel, uh, more of an all-court game. Those are all the the things that Federer has that team doesn't possess. Let's move on to the third set. Serving comes back for Federer. He starts making first serves again. So in the beginning of the third set, the first serve really helped Federer hold easily. But the returning wasn't quite back. Until the end of the third set, at 3-4, Federer gets into some trouble. Or, excuse me, team gets into some trouble on a service game. And I think that Federer somehow keys back in on the Dominic team serve. Serve and return was so important in this match because when team was able to have time at the baseline to, to really take a big rip, that was kind of the end game for Federer. But when Federer was able to rush team off the first shot, that was kind of end game for team. I didn't find that either player was winning a lot on defense in this match. It was whoever started off the point offensively would generally win. I thought, even on a slow court, I thought defense was a did not play a big factor in this match on either side of the net, which is, I think, more a credit to Federer and team's level, less so them not being good at defense, which both of them are. Okay, but at 3-4, Dominic Team gets into trouble. He makes two forehand errors. 
Then Federer has an opening, a cross-court forehand. He has most of the court, and he misses it wide. Um, team gets, gets it to 1540. Federer plays a great point at 1530, finishes it with an overhead. Comes to the net, good forehand. Team has to pop it up. Federer finish, finishes with an overhead. So now, um, two break points. Or actually, no, 30-40. Sorry, because Federer makes the forehand error. Team uh, has a great 1-2, serve, big forehand, gets it to 30-all. But then Federer plays a great point at 30-all. Bear with me here. It's 30-40, break point for Federer. He would have had a chance to serve for it. Um at, because this was at 3-4, he would have served for the set at 5-3. I have the video here of this passing shot that Federer misses. It's a, he goes for a backhand down the line. What I want you to pay attention to here is how much court is open. This is not a good approach shot by team because he's moving laterally. He's not moving forward into the court. As a result, he can't close the net. He's very slow to close the net, and because he doesn't close the net, there's tons of space cross-court and even a little space line. I mean, Federer has the whole court. If, if he goes cross-court with this pass and makes it, it's game over. Look how much court he has to work with. I'll play it one more time. So much court, and he just doesn't hit into it. So there you go. The match was on Federer's racket. And this is a common theme. This is what would concern me if I were Federer, is that this is a pattern. I mentioned the Anderson match at Wimbledon. You have um, the the Tsitsipas match at the Aussie Open this year. And then you have the Millman match where he had break points in the second set to go up uh, two sets to love up. What's concerning me, if I'm a Federer fan, is the lack of clutchness. Um, okay. Team holds. Let's skip to um, this was a great game because Federer was returning well and really played well enough to break Dominic. And I know I just played uh, a point where Federer just messes up, but by all means, team had a really strong hold there. And from that point on, I think Dominic got into such an incredible rhythm off the ground, a rhythm that is so beautiful to watch one of my favorite, most entertaining things to watch in all of tennis is when team gets into a rhythm uh, with both his forehand and his backhand, like he did at the tail end of this third set, what he did against Rafa Nadal in the first set of the U.S. Open, where he's not missing and he's hitting every ground stroke about 90 miles per hour, which is just insane. He, he is the biggest hitter on tour. He really is. If you combine his forehand and his backhand, he's up there with... Uh, Denis Shapovalov. And uh, that's something that I know the American broadcast was talking about a lot, the difference between team and Shapovalov. Not only is team up there with the most miles per hour, but he, he gets so many RPMs on this ball. What team Team's racket speed and the physicality of his game and the fact that he's still able to clock the ball even when he's on the run, this is what makes me say... Team's physicality is almost like Nadal's physicality. It, it's very close, in my opinion, to Nadal's physicality, which is incredible. Um, let's go to 5-all. Federer is up 30-15, and he hits a really great drop shot. 
and team somehow tracks it down. I thought it was the right play. It was a good drop shot. Team was deep in the court. He wasn't expecting it. It was well disguised. Team somehow ran it down and pulled off the shot of the match. Cross court angle winner. Now it's 30 all. Full credit to team for his ridiculous shot making on that. And Federer chokes here. He feels the pressure and he hits a drop shot at 30 all that is completely ill-advised. That is not the right play. Dominic Team is not deep in the court. He is not in good position to hit the drop shot at all. This time he gets there plenty of time. Another winner. Then on break point, I believe I think it was a second serve. I think Federer missed his first serve, but regardless, team hits a great return. Right at Federer's feet. Federer gets it back, but not with much of anything on it, and team hits a forehand winner. So the drop shot at 30-all was a killer for Roger Federer. Uh, I know a lot of people are complaining about both drop shots, but really the first one was the right play. And then serving it out, at this point, I think that, again, team was in such a rhythm, and uh, Federer missed a return that he should have made in the uh, in team's last service game. And he also, the forehand on match point, there's really no reason to miss that either. But at this point, team was completely in the zone, completely determined to, to take this match and capped off what was an unreal performance by Dominic team that really should not have shocked anyone given these conditions and given how strong Dominic team is on any slower court. Uh, on the ATP World Tour, which is why the the betting odds were were totally uh, way off, in my opinion. And I do hope that I got that across in my preview that this was a really tight call. Time for comment response. Um, oh, I did forget to show this shot. I mentioned uh, Federer's missing the big pass. Look at team make this big pass. 30 all, chip and charge Federer for a chance to serve for it at 5-4. He would have had a break point to go up 5-4, and that would have been maybe my best prediction ever because I said Federer would win the first set, team would win the second set, and then Federer would win the third set 6-4. Could you imagine if if <laughs> if that happened? Um and team came up with this awesome backhand pass. So again, who had the clutch shot making in this match? It wasn't Federer. It was Dominic Team. That's why he won. Um, so I just wanted to also play that clip. Time for comment response. I did not. Uh, I'm. I didn't cut them up and make graphics out of the comments, which I do sometimes. I don't know if you guys care about that or not. Let me know if if you really want to see the comment on the screen. But it, it takes me like 30 minutes at least to to do that. So I decided to skip it and get this out to you guys quicker. Okay. I posted. You guys commented. There are 31 comments. I will get to as many as I can. I'll probably go until the 35-minute mark. And then I'll call it, uh, call it a day. And I'll read it in order of most likes to least likes. What got the most likes? It's Jose Marino. Um... He said, French Open power rankings, exclamation mark. Okay, let's do it. Um, this was the French Open power rankings after the Australian Open on January 28th. Um, a lot has happened since. 
I think on the top, not much has changed, but on the bottom, huge shakeups. So on the top, I still think Djokovic number one, Nadal number two. Um, I've I've justified this a few times, but for those of you who are new or may forget, uh, these two shared the court, if you remember, <laughs> at the Australian Open final, and the gap was enormous. And my philosophy is surface does close gaps, but a gap that big, which is the gap that we saw with our own eyes, cannot be diminished merely by surface. I'll give you an example. Roger Federer is not, clay is his worst surface. David Ferrer, clay is his best surface. If they play in the French Open in 2012, who's favored in that match? Roger Federer. Why? Because the gap's too large between Federer and Ferrer in that instance. So based on what we saw this year, in the best of five format, when these two shared the court, the gap is too big. So that's my justification. Dominic team, number three. Federer, number four. Obviously, that ain't changing right now. Um, I moved up Stefanos Tsitsipas. Now, after number four, I think all these guys, it's kind of in a cluster. So I almost feel like Tsitsipas, who I put at number five because he's had such a strong year and, you know, he's so high in the race to London. And I think he's a, a, a very good clay court player. Um He's at number five. I think he'll probably go down from this. But really, I think five to nine or no, five to eight, those four players are kind of in the same category of players who are just really impressing me right now with their level and players who can who can be threats on clay. I also think that none of them really have a great chance, I feel like, of, of winning Roland Garros right now. Uh but Stefanos has been good. Stan looks healthy, and he's so good on clay, so I think that he's a player here outside of the four major contenders, or maybe really the three major contenders. Uh, and we'll see what happens in the Masters, but it's possible we'll be going into the French Open. And yeah, I think you got to include team in that conversation, so I think maybe three. We'll see how Federer uh, looks on the clay. Um, Monfils... You guys can laugh at me all you want. I think his level is absolutely scary. I think the way he's played since the Australian Open has been nothing short of sensational. And if he continues this, he's going to he's going to be in the second week of a slam, uh, second weekend of a slam. I'm sorry. I won't apologize. I I know what I'm seeing from Monfils. I see it with my own eyes. I see the level that he's at. Um I hope he proves me right. Maybe proves me wrong. We'll see. Hopefully that Achilles is okay. Number eight, Kenya Shikori. He's had a solid year, pretty good on the clay. And Sasha Zverev, who was previously at number five in the last issue of the French Open Power Rankings, he slips down to number nine for playing terrible tennis. Plain and simple. Um, we'll see what, what what he does. Number 10, Diego Schwartzman. He moved down a couple spots, but... Uh, He'll always be a candidate to make a quarterfinal uh, at the French because, you know, he's just shown to be a, a very solid clay court player. Uh, so that's my French Open power rankings right now. They will change immensely, I'm sure, very soon. Let's go to the next comment. I can't pronounce this guy's name because it's there's no vowels. There's literally not a single vowel in his first name. It is D-J-C-K-S-N. I have no idea how to say that. 
Um, in the English language, unfortunately, we need vowels. So, sorry. <laughs> um, anyway, he says, It seems like Federer is reluctant to change his tactics mid-match, even when it is clear they aren't working. Hmm. Interesting. I think that Federer knew exactly how he needed to play to win this match. And I agree with you because at times I feel like he sat back. Oops. At times I think he sat back too much. But in general, I feel like tactics wasn't why he lost this match at all. I think he, he had a pretty clear idea of what he needed to do to win this match. And that is try to try to bring team in whenever he could when when he could get him in the net get him in the net try to use the drop shot try to come to the net whenever he could whenever team dropped back far take advantage and um also be very aggressive on the on the return to try to rush team if you can which is kind of like a well duh but notice no chip returns from Federer on the backhand he hit over all of them because he realized the way to beat team you got to rush him so i don't know i thought tactically it was a pretty good match from Federer and i thought he lost this match because of lack of clutch shot making the dip in the level uh and those were the two big things right and also because of some of the challenges that Dominic team posed I don't think this that surface suits him, by the way, at Indian Wells. I know he's played well there. Once again, surfaces close gaps. Just because Federer has had good results at Indian Wells doesn't mean the conditions are great for him there. And I don't really think they are. Um, next comment got six likes. Fed's breakpoint conversion rate hurts him once again. I can't really add anything to that. I agree. Jose Almario says, after that Novak upset, is he still the favorite in Roland Garros? Obviously had difficulties with hitting through this ultra-slow hardcourt, but then you take the Nadal injury into account. Also, um, give a brief statement about Nadal skipping Miami and upcoming clay court events. What do you think? And just out of curiosity, have you ever played on a clay court? Thanks, Gil. Hope your show goes well. Thanks. Great comment. Um, okay, so... If Nadal won this tournament, he probably would have taken overtaken Novak Djokovic in the French Open power rankings because this what I would have probably said is, well, it's the first tournament on a slow court all season and Nadal comes through and Djokovic doesn't. Uh because Nadal couldn't do that, of course, that's why Djokovic maintains his his lead over Nadal. Um I also just I want to see more from Djokovic because this happens. You know, you have one match where you're just not right. Um, and I, I still don't think Djokovic was right. I mean, we saw, again, Cole Schreiber's a great player. It doesn't matter, though, that he's a great player. If if Djokovic is playing his game, Cole Schreiber can't really beat him. I'm sorry. Uh, we saw we saw a guy in Gael Monfils in the next round play at, in my opinion, like a top five level, and Cole Schreiber really can't reach that same kind of level. I don't even think Cole Schreiber played bad in that match, and he lost like love and two or something like that, like one and two. He got killed uh, because there's a there's a cap to how well Cole Schreiber can play, and, and I, I love the guy. Um, nothing but love for Philip Cole Schreiber, but if Djokovic was himself there, Cole Schreiber would have, you know, Djokovic would have beaten Cole Schreiber. It wasn't like a Nick Kyrgios thing where you have one of the most talented guys in the game redlining and, and Djokovic couldn't handle it. it. It's not like that. It was, 
anyway, I, I think I've talked about that um, enough. Nadal skipping Miami, that's the right move. Upcoming clay court events. Yeah, I mean, he doesn't get injured on clay. That's that's the funny part. I'm, I'm really glad you bring this up because he his knee seems to normally be fine on clay. He's always healthy by the time Roland Garros uh, comes around. And again, I mentioned it in the, in the Federer Nadal preview video, but the tendonitis is doesn't seem to be as bad when he has that forgiving clay court surface. So skipping Miami, absolute no-brainer, correct call. Will he be ready for Monte Carlo? Probably. I would guess yes. And have I ever played on a clay court? I have. Uh, I... It, it suited my game great. I mean, if you want to know what my game is like, um, I'll probably I'll probably post a video at at some point for educational purposes, not to be like, hey guys, look at my game. But I'll probably do a, a video at some point where I want to show you guys. I want to play someone who's really really good, who's gonna beat me, and then I want to kind of talk about the tactics in that match. And I think it can it can be a good video because I can't really show footage of entire matches on this channel, obviously, because I don't I don't have rights to that, and fair use just isn't good enough um, with with the YouTube algorithms for me to get around it. But if I use my own, if I use a match that I play, I can show you guys like an entire set, and we can talk through it tactically, which I think would be a lot of fun. Anyway, I got sidetracked. If you want to know what my game is like, it's pretty much David Ferrer's game. My movement got really bad with age. I stopped with, with you know, I'm not old, obviously, but with, with more age and because I'm training less, I got way l less athletic, which made me have to change my game and play more aggressive. But in general, I was pretty heavy spin. My kick serve is my best serve. My forehand has a lot of spin. So clay was my best surface um, once I got used to the movement, I played more on hard courts, so I didn't move very well on clay. I don't know if any of you guys care, but this got five likes, so maybe people do care. Next comment, maybe we'll have time for two more. Why hasn't team got any attention to be the next gen leader, uh, though, among the youngsters? He is the guy who has reached the finals of a major. That's true. Has been consistently top 10 and has a good all around game. No other next gen guy has a good all around game and play like them. FAA makes 80 unforced errors a match, so we are not counting him yet. That's true about FAA, and he, God, I mean, if he was only more patient against Nishioka, he should have won that match. I mean, he just needs to learn patience. Um, in terms of team, you got to understand that Next Gen is actually a marketing campaign by the ATP, and team just didn't make the cut there. So the whole hashtag Next Gen, Next Gen Finals, it's a, a really good marketing campaign. So team was too old to be a part of that and that's why he missed the boat on that whole next gen hype thing so that's really a simple answer again this was my top 10 in the beginning of the year um team at number four and that's where he's at right now uh sasha isn't looking great but obviously um it's possible that he could still finish number two. But yeah, this is what I saw happening at the beginning of the year in something that's like impossible to predict, um, the top 10. Del Potro got injured. Tsitsipas is looking like a decent pick uh, to, to finish number eight. Anyway, that's what I had. I, I thought I'd go back to that. Um, but yeah, team should get more respect. I agree. Last one. Oh no, this is so long. 
And this has four likes, which is less than the last one. Okay, I'm going to end it here, guys, and I will reply on YouTube to the comments that I didn't get to. Uh, this has been a lot of fun. Looking forward to Miami. Um, I'll probably take a little break Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, but then expect to hear from me again um, towards the quarterfinals, round of 16-ish of Miami. Um, enjoy the tennis, everyone. Hope you enjoyed. Don't forget to subscribe. I'll see you next time.